0: Blog Talk
1: Radio. Sponsored by WomenSpeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, you're listening to Marnie's Friends. Hey, everybody, this is Marnie Swedberg. Welcome to another edition of Marnie's Friends. During today's program, you are going to learn how to unruffle ruffled feathers with our wonderful guest, Tara. Tara Barcel of tarabarcell.com. During this hour, you are going to discover the first thing that you must train yourself to do in a ruffled situation, the one thing people need the most when serious conflicts arrive and feathers are ruffled, the most effective way to diffuse your own potentially bad attitude or negative thinking, the key to helping most angry people, why agreeing with your enemy or opponent can be a wise response, the potentially overlapping spheres of Uh, positional authority, power, and influence, and why they matter, how to identify when people have fallen into a mob mentality, why you cannot mediate a group, how to ask best questions, and when it's time for you to step away and stop engaging in someone else's conflict. Tara is a great person to talk to us about this today because she's a high net worth estate planning attorney with decades of experience mediating between powerful ruffled leaders. Uh she'll help us deepen our skills as a wise manager of conflict and her website to learn more about her is over at TaraBarsell dot com T A R A B A R T H E L dot com. Welcome to you, Tara. Thank you so much, Marty. It's a joy to be here. Well, and it's so great to have you. Thank you for joining us. And I'm excited to kind of tap into your brain because you have had some, uh, you know, like I said in the bio, you've had some ruffled feathers around you a lot. And you haven't only worked as an attorney. You've also done a lot of, um, you were the director of the Institute for Christian Conciliation, um, a division of Peacemaker Ministries. You really have been surrounded by a lot of ruffled feathers and you've learned a lot. And it's a great opportunity right now for you to help us understand some things that we can do when we find ourselves in such a situation. So, first of all, maybe talk about um there's something that we can do that we can maybe train ourselves to do or position ourselves to do when we find ourselves in a ruffled situation. So maybe just talk about that.
0: Absolutely. Um Marnie, we all by instinct and this goes to how um God created our bodies. Uh, we go into what's called fight or flight mode. And in the field of Christian mediation, we call that escape or attack responses. So the first thing we have to train ourselves to do is to identify when our bodies are hyperadrenalated. Because adrenaline (sighs) is great. It's a wonderful drug if you have to kill a bear or run away from a bear. But it's not so great if you want to negotiate rationally, uh, think charitably, and help, especially when someone's in authority over us, a leader in a conflicted huh. situation. So and actually, I should say, we moved from Chicago to Montana, and um, I've learned since moving to Montana, you never run from a bear. Just as an aside, that's a little bear safety awareness. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> but, um, you have to overcome your adrenaline. And so the first thing is to identify when um, we're in a hyperadrenaline situation, our body is shunting blood to our hands and our feet to kind of chill or run. And so some of us in conflict, we avoid, we deny, we run away. Some of us attack. Uh, we murder, to use the words, even Jesus talks about if we curse our brother, we really have a heart of a murderer. And so um, it, as a conflict response, fight or flight, run away or attack, those are not going to be the best. We want to identify that's our instinct and then take some steps to overcome that and work through those conflicts in a more redemptive way.
1: So – I can't honestly remember ever noticing that I had extra blood in my hands or feet. So, what would be the first indication to a person that they're getting hyperadrenalated? I I love that word, and I've never heard it before. Say it again. Adrenalated. What do you What did you yeah, say? Sure.
0: Maybe it's a fake word that I've made up, Marnie, but I find it very I love persuasive. it. Though. It's a great word. It's hyperadrenalated, and it makes all the <laughs> theology go out the door. You know, like our rational thought, because we're really operating in a very limbic system way. And so we would notice that because have you ever been in a situation when leaders start to quarrel and the hairs on the back of your neck stick up, or maybe you hmm. get a little shaky or a little dry mouth, or maybe some people feel nauseous? Even that's all hmm. adrenaline. That's that's what it feels like, and so if you're if you kind of have this feeling in your pit of your stomach, like you know that gulp, that's adrenaline, that's your body saying we are ready to kill or run, but we have to learn. For example, in military or police training, or you know martial arts or whatever, you learn how to not respond from that instinct, but to instead respond wisely and in a controlled manner.
1: And then is that response is that a learned response, and that's the most necessary thing that we have?
0: I think it's the first thing. I don't think it's um, necessarily the most necessary thing, but if we don't get past that physiological response, we're not going to get into wisdom, right? When um, we talk about wisdom, we're really talking about rational thought at that point, and that's what we want to be. We want to be wise in these situations. So we can identify my instinct. Um, In Christian mediation, we talk about the slippery slope of conflict. And how if you're, if you think of like a dome, Marie, if you go over to one side, like the runaway zone, the escape zone, the flight zone, you can slide right off of that and give up on the relationship. But if you slide Mm. off the other side of the slippery slope, you can slide into attack or litigation or murder responses, and maybe not physiological real murder, but, you know, that heart of murder, of cursing or judging or hating or bitterness. And so we want to stay up on top of the slippery slope of conflict. By the way, that concept came from a gentleman named Ken Sandy, who founded Peacemaker Ministries and now has a wonderful ministry called Relational Wisdom. But um, so the peacemaking responses would be conciliatory, where we're learning how to overlook, we're learning how to negotiate, we're learning how to confess and forgive. Um, Mediation and arbitration, those would be
1: forms of conciliatory or peacemaking
0: responses. Hmm.
1: I just learned um several shows ago that the ten second you know how they say count to ten that that is yeah. actually a legit uh there's there's a physiological change that can happen in those ten seconds where you can kind of identify this fight or flight um response that we have and and kind of bring it back into into some semblance of normalcy so you can think clearly address that just a second.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, I I would assume the other uh, speaker that you were talking with talked about deep breathing, because if we are oxygenating 10 seconds, then we are really starting to, we're saying, okay, I feel these feelings of adrenaline, but I'm not going to let it put me into fight, flight. And sometimes people even say, or freeze, right? It's like a fight, flight, or freeze response, but I'm going to respond rationally. So this actually works out even with um, public speaking. I know you're a professional speaker or children doing a piano recital. If you, uh, They can play it at home and then they go to the piano recital and it's blank slate. Their brain is fritzed out. That's because of adrenaline. They they didn't practice in an adrenaline state and so they don't know when they're sitting there with their little music and or they're trying to remember it and their mouth gets dry and their hands get shaky. Um, if we train our children and, and college and grad students to train them to say, oh, that's adrenaline. And we push past short-term memory into long-term memory. We can make those connections. And so, for example, um, I don't get freaked out when I'm in a room of uh, fighting Christians in a church conflict or a parachurch conflict because this is what I've done over and over again for years and years. Um, I actually become more centered. I, I understand what's happening. It doesn't frighten me. But most people, they don't have as much experience in conflict. And so then it could be you know, our heart starts pounding, for example, if I try to cook right? I have an anxiety attack if I try to cook' because I can't cook i'm forty five years old, I still eat cereal for dinner, you know I'm bad, bad, bad failure, <laughs> so if you wanted me to cook a meal for people, I'd have to work really hard and to overcome my adrenaline, but um, I could do it with a spreadsheet and a long list, but really, I'm not a very good cook um,
1: so it's about <laughs> I like it. I love that. I love that you're pointing out that different things are going to trigger different people and it's not going to, it's not just like there's one thing that triggers all of us in exactly the same way. That's just simply not the case. Well, that is so, that's so interesting. And the oxygenate, what, where it came up before was that my instant response, I just have kind of a learned response. When I have a fight or flight response, I typically just kick into what I call my 911, which is either saying Jesus Just Jesus, 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 Jesus. Otherwise, if I can't even quite get two syllables out, I just go God, 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 like that. (laughs) (laughs) But it does kind of, um, it does kind of allow the, it allows the conscious mind to break off of, what it's, what it's preoccupied with long enough to get some perspective. And of course, hopefully the very best perspective available through God. So Tara, Tara, what is the number one thing that people need the most when serious conflicts arrive, arise?
0: Right. So let's just all take a moment, picture even the most recent time we were in a room with someone who was really mad, like picked off. I mean, they are, they are, you know, so angry that they're really not rational and they're certainly not charitable. Um, especially a leader, right, someone with power, someone who can hurt people by their position and their authority and their strength. Uh, If we're we're in a church situation or a parachurch ministry or a workplace or school, whatever it is, um, the one thing that people need the most when we're in those serious conflicts, family conflicts, marriage, miserable marriage um, conflicts, is hope. That is the Mm -hmm. number one thing that will go out the door Uh, If you gave people, Christians, for example, in conflict, a test, they could pass the test about God's sovereignty and his goodness and how much he loves them. But in that moment when they've been financially betrayed and they're facing bankruptcy, in that moment when their spouse of 30 years walks out the door, right, in that serious, hopeless conflict, uh, what we need most is hope. And hope in the Bible talks about not hope as the world gives, but hope isn't like, I hope to see you, morning. see I hope to see you Tuesday. But hope, as God gives, is, is confident assurance based upon mm-hmm. his character and based upon his word that um, even in this life, in this life, Jesus says we're going to have trouble. But he has deprived the world of its power to ultimately harm us. So even in our conflicts, we can trust God. And, and um, because we can have that hope and assurance, the Romans 8, He's working all things together for good. Again, not trying to sound too spiritual, but I'm telling you having not just been a mediator, Marie, I had to hire Christian mediators to help me in my conflict. We can talk more about that as the show goes on too. So as a party, also as a professional mediator, once I had to hire a Christian mediator that I had trained to be a Christian mediator, I was like, I actually <laughs> trained him how to do it. But when the need arose, Right. I needed to hire a Christian mediator, I hired him in to help me. So as a party and a professional mediator, there is always hope because God never changes and he's always good.
1: So I think for me listening to this, what I find is that when I try to find hope in a hopeless situation, sometimes I cannot see it there. But if I take my eyes off of the circumstance and look at the God who's carrying me, there is always hope there. Is that, is that the way to think about it? Absolutely. Um, that
0: God's character never changes, that his love for us doesn't change. And also I think as we, um, get help from people with education and experience, we can have the hope of also some help in this life. I actually walked out of a meeting at one forty-five before we spoke at one 55 today of a very complicated estate planning, um, issue with multiple family members and multiple law firms involved. And, uh, Encouraging the parties, even and their advisors, church advisors as well, uh, to hope in God, and also to trust that when you put professional mediators in a room, and even the most serious conflicted situations, Uh, not always, but many many times I've seen it over and over again in different cultures, uh, different countries around the world, that when you have uh, experienced people. We can help. You know, we balance power imbalances. Right. We help to clarify miscommunications. Because we're third parties, we're not – I have no interest in the state planning issue, for example. Um, they, you know, Both sides can trust. I'm really just working for God's glory, and they're good. I have no other agenda. You know, I'm not trying to advocate for a position. I'm not acting as a lawyer in the case. I'm acting as a mediator. And so there can be hope for um, some progress or maybe – even just a little bit more chari- charitable presumption and grace in the human relationships because of who God is. Mm. Well,
1: mm, I love that. One of the things that's really comforting to me is when i misunderstood, and in your situation, um, sometimes people can feel like, you know, without a mediator there, nobody's understanding what I'm trying to say. Nobody's hearing me. And I love to, I love to always come back to the fact that God completely understands my situation that first of all he understands every motive I have which is sometimes a little unsettling but hopefully um, you know in those times when I feel misunderstood by other people I have this confidence that the God of the universe completely understands my circumstances and my needs and that he is for my good because I am his and I just love Mm. the hope that there is in that Mm. awesome well this is Marnie Spudberger visiting today with Tara Barcel of tarabascell.com and you spell Tara T-A-R-A Tara Barstel.com. We're going to come right back and talk about the most effective way to diffuse your own bad attitude. We'll be right back. Okay, and right now it's time for our womenspeakers.com feature, and today's speaker is Portia Ross of Glendale, Rhode Island. And you can visit her profile over at womenspeakers.com. You spell her name F O R S H I A, Portia Ross, R O S S, that's Sam, Portia Ross. And she is one of the, let's see how many we, we have, uh, 1163 women speakers, Christian women speakers available to you right now at womenspeakers.com. And all of them include um, the, uh, Interesting details about their ministry, their bio. A lot of them have their favorite talks, recommendations from people who've heard them speak. Some of them have resources out there available to you, like books, CDs, etc. So if you're an event coordinator or a speaker booker, you want to go check that out over at womenspeakers.com available to you 24-7, 365 without any middleman waiting fees. And it's completely free for you to search day or night anytime you have time, womenspeakers.com. Well, today our guest, Tara Barthel is talking with us about how to unruffle ruffled feathers. Miss Tara, let's talk about um, <laughs> why is it that we get negative thinking so fast when we're in a situation where people are upset, do we just do we just adopt their negative thinking, or do do, do we maybe even just get to it without them? Yeah, it
0: seems to me that um, unless we have practiced it, kind of like muscle training, almost like strength training, uh, unless we have practiced not doing it, we're, it's very easy to pick up on the negative attitude of the people around us and um, and to make it personal, right? To presume. Uncharitably that we know their hearts. This mm-hmm. is a very common response to conflict, especially when someone's in a leadership or they have a lot of power. Um, we can presume uncharitably about their hearts, and it sounds it sounds like this: you know, he is just doing that to hurt me. She was trying to embarrass me in that meeting. Now, mm-hmm. maybe she was, and maybe he was, but unless they have told us that, unless that man has said. Uh, Tara, I, you know, I was trying to hurt you, or she says, I was trying to embarrass you. For us to presume to know the heart of another person and to presume uncharitably, in in the Bible, we're actually imitating Satan, because the only person in the universe who knows the heart of man is God. And Satan wanted to ascend to the throne of God, right? He wanted to be God, And um, when we pretend or we presume to know somebody's heart, we're really not imitating, um, we're not living out the law of love. We are imitating Satan. So what we want to do is to not presume to know the heart of another person. So maybe it sounds like this, you know, Bob, we had that tense exchange in the meeting, and um, I'd like to talk about it with you. I don't know what was going through your mind when you said those words. I'd like to understand it. Can we talk about it? See, now I'm actually, I'm giving him an opportunity to explain what was happening as opposed to saying, well, Bob, I know you just did that to hurt me. I know you did that to embarrass me. See, now we're presuming to know their heart. And that is going to ruffle. Oh, talk about ruffles feathers. I'm going to start plucking them out and just throwing them on the ground at that point.
1: So, <laughs> Well, and I think, you know, you go back to the love chapter in 1 Corinthians and it's it's, it's love is actually believing for the best in the other person, even if they did have bad intentions to believe for the best. And I think we all want everybody to believe for our best intentions, but then we flip out and, you know, assign, you know, bad motives to what they're seeing. So I think it's just a pretty common trap that we all fall into. Mm-hmm.
0: I think you're, you're absolutely right. We, we tend to make an excuse for ourselves and minimize our contributions like the, the log, you know, the log in our eye feels like a speck, but then we're, we, we accuse other people. And um, but the mm, truth is mm-hmm. Jesus says, hey, it's a log in your eye before you help your brother with his speck.
1: So, yeah. Very well, said. yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the key to helping most people, maybe not all angry people, but at least there's a, there's a key that we can use to help someone who's very angry in our presence.
0: Yes, yeah, and again, I I want to emphasize the most because some angry people are just angry people, Marty. They can be, um, of course, people can be wicked in their sin and abuse, and so I'm not, not saying that. But I think a key to help us when we're in your language, I love your language of ruffled, right? We're in a ruffled situation, and, and things tempers are starting to escalate. Um, one thing to remember is that many angry people are actually fearful people. And if we will remember that, that will engender mercy in our hearts. That many times, not always, definitely not always, but many times people who are freaking out, like they're they're in a sometimes screamers or, you know, the kind of angry response, actually what's happening is they're very scared. And if we can keep that perspective, then that will help us to help them and to help anybody else in the room. Because, of course, as managers and leaders, we're going to often be in situations where an angry person is hurting a bunch of people in a meeting or in a in a session like that. So remember that angry people are often fearful people, and then that's going to help us to step through that conflict more redundantly. It's kind of
1: interesting that this came up right now because just earlier this week, my husband and I were talking about this. And I said, when, when I respond in that way, and it wasn't exactly anger, but it was um, – It was not a nice response. I can't can't even identify the word that it would be, but it wouldn't really be an angry outburst. But anyway, I said, when I respond that way, it's really out of fear. And he said, not me. When I respond that way, it really is anger. And um, do do you find that between men and women, that more women tend to be fearful versus men? Or is it an even split?
0: That's a great question. I have to think about it um, statistically. You know, I want to sit there and, like, pull case files and actually give you math answer here. But um, I do spend a lot of time. One of my retreats is on the topic of anxiety and fear. And so I've had the privilege of talking with women kind of coast-to-coast coast on that topic, in addition to peacemaking. And it's kind of off the top. I'm just kind of thinking it through abuse cases as well. Um, it could very well be. I, I hate to stake you know, put a stake in the claim because I'm not 100% sure But I think that it could very well be, Marnie, I think that's a great insight, that um, many times when a woman is coming across angry that there's fear. I've been around a lot of men with very high um, authority and power, and they're fearful. Many overachievers, um, one of my, my spiritual followers often says, You know, if you see somebody with multiple graduate degrees and now he's pointing at me and he's pointing at himself, uh, many times, not always, but many times, they are uh, trying to overcome some kind of what Proverbs 29 talks about, the fear of man, where Hmm. their fear of man proves to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So, for example, if we've been told as children, you know, you're worthless, you're bad, we've been shamed. And then now we're trying to overcome this badness. Um, even as Christians, even as relatively mature Christians. I've worked with presidents of denominations or seminaries that somehow they're still trying to overcome a voice. Maybe it was a, a, a parent or um, an ex-spouse who abandoned them, right? Mm-hmm. And You're just a, you're bad. You're a failure. And now they're trying to overcome it through performance, and that can become a snare. Proverbs 29 talks about that being a snare. So I wouldn't say it's just women, I, I, and I'm not yeah. sure on the statistical
1: reality. I, sure. I have to think about it. Honest. But I, sure. I think it's
0: a good insight. And some angry people are just
1: angry. So absolutely. Yeah, angry. Right, right. And sometimes all of us are just angry. And that's just, it is. Right. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about um, why sometimes agreeing with your enemy or opponent can be a wise response. And I'm curious where you go with this. I know, like with my staff, when I do at the restaurant and the retail store, when I do training for dealing with customer complaints, One of the illustrations that I use is that the customer comes in and they might be on the phone, but just whichever way. So the customer comes in and guns are blazing and you're in front of the customer. And so you're getting shot up because Mm -hmm. the guns are blazing and you're there. So what I always encourage my staff to do, get out of the line of the fire, go stand next to the person, just emotionally stand next to the person Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and take your guns out and start shooting at the ceiling or something, you know, shoot with them. And then, and then pretty soon the person realizes, Oh, they're just trying to help me. They're, they're really just trying to help me. They're not trying to, you know, um, make my bullets bounce off of their shield back and hit me. They're just trying to help. And so I'm curious where you go with this, because I too have found that a lot of times just being, just being gracious to someone makes a huge difference
0: absolutely i loved your example too because i'm i'm a frequent flyer like you and so we we see this a lot in airports right where there's things yeah. that are beyond the power and control of the gate agents like weather for example <laughs> blizzard is ice or shutting things down and and some people will really attack them for, or in your retail store or, or restaurant and uh even just saying like you said those were terrible right there's this terrible thing happened and instead of being defensive, but instinctively saying, what a terrible thing, right? We're agreeing with them already. And it, uh, I like to remember is it really, it can diffuse, right? It can diffuse Mm -hmm. instead of escalating, it can diffuse. Um, But even not in the customer service, let's say in a true conflict with a a manager or boss or a negotiation, um, and there are 10, 10, points of it. And, Eight of them are in severe conflict, but two of them we actually agree on. Sometimes uh, in the field of Christian mediation, we talk about if we can, sometimes if we can make progress, um, if we can take a step forward. Uh, so maybe it's a relational one where you realize that person is offended because I spoke harshly to them, and the truth is they're right. Now, we've got eight other data points we have to talk about, and they have they were wrong too at times. But the truth is they are here, and they're mad, or they're hurt, or they're you know, escalating, and they're right. Um, Sometimes if we can take a step forward of getting that log out of our eye and Mm -hmm. saying, you know what, we we have a lot of things to talk about here, but I want to start out by saying, you're right. When I spoke to you that way in that meeting, there was no excuse for that. I was demeaning, I was disrespectful, and every word you've used to describe it, you are right. Now, it doesn't fix the whole problem, right, but sometimes it can de-escalate things, it can diffuse. And get one step forward. To try to help the other things go forward as well.
1: I love that to find one point to agree on. And and one of the things you know, using the customer uh, service analogy, one of the things I do train my staff is you don't really want to ever um, say that they're right about things that aren't true. You don't want to say, "Oh yes, this is a terrible business. They were just trying to rip you off." You know, I mean, you don't want to say things and agree with them in their anger about things that aren't true, but you can find things that are true and you can, you can go and join them there. So I love that. I love that. So do you have like an example? Um, You gave us a good example of, of something that the person accused you of. Do you have another example that could help to understand how to actually agree with your enemy when you mostly do disagree with them?
0: Ooh, another example, to agree with your enemy when you mostly disagree with them. Probably the one that comes most readily to mind would be marriage examples. Because, um, for example, my pastor and I co-mediate quite a few miserable Christian marriages, right? People <laughs> who love Jesus and love their kids and, like, lead worship or whatever and hate each other. Or sometimes they've gone around the bend where um, there's an author named Ed Welch who says, the real indicator of true hatred is indifference. Right. You know, where you don't even care anymore. You're not even feeling, you're not even angry. You're not even yelling, right. like you've disengaged. And indifference is really too far. Um, it seems to me, just things that come to mind, when you're sitting there and you're finally trying to, un. you know, take that brick wall that's between a 30-year miserable Christian marriage and going, you know, step by step by step through, um, it can be very hard to admit uh, to anything that the other side is saying. Because you've got not just 8 or 10. I mean, you have 10,000, really. I mean, you, it's just, right. you have year after year of examples. And um, we see in mediation, when people talk about those hurts from 30, 30 years ago, and I am not exaggerating, you know, hmm. conflicts and hurts on their honeymoon from 30 years ago, hmm. and they are talking about it with you as though it were yesterday. The pain <laughs> is that acidic. You know, they're they're still burning with pain from it. So I would say that is a very, very hard time. Um, that's a hard example to agree. but About anything. That's right. really calling people, yeah, to do what Jesus said. You know, he didn't say don't confront your brother. He said don't prematurely confront your brother. First get the log out of your own eyes. So if you can agree even on one out of 10,000, it may seem inconsequential, but we, we have it historically it's not because that's the only way. Right, we're going to obey what Jesus says, and we're going to take that step and try. Um, but that's also where, as mediators, we get to wrap our arms around you know, metaphorically and like help lift up their arms and help them take those steps because there's so much hurt and there's so much pain. Um, it's really
1: uh, a great really privilege to <laughs> help them. So, wow, it's so beautiful to hear that there is help for marriages that are are very far gone and far down. And I think that probably um, some of us listening today just say, "Oh, that's." good to hear that 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 doesn't mean it's over. When you have years of things that are hurtful, it just means that there's hope and there's help out there for you. And we're visiting today with Tara Barthel. You want to check out her website at t a r a b a r t h e l dot com. We're going to come right back and talk about the overlapping spheres of positional authority, power, and influence and why they matter. We'll be right back. Okay, you guys, it's time for me to uh, do a focus on some of the resources that, that are available to you through Marnie.com. And, of course, this radio show and podcast is one of them. But what you might not know is that if you go to MarniesFriends.com, you'll be able to access all of the previous shows and training sections free Uh, They're free at MarniesFriends.com. And you just go down and you can either listen on Stitcher, iTunes, or Blog Talk Radio. And they're divided into categories for you. So you can get the training just for authors and writers. You can get training for speakers, training for management or success, leadership, for media or marketing, for event planning, women's ministry, or Life, or Family Life, and more. And also, at the bottom of that page is where you can submit or recommend a guest trainer for the show. And so I hope you will go check that out at Marnie's com. Well, Tara, welcome back to you. We're talking today about how to unruffle ruffled feathers. And Tara's website, again, is T-A-R-A-B-A-R-T-H-E-L.com. Tara, let's talk about fears of positional authority, power, and influence. So first of all, maybe define that, and then define or describe why sometimes that can get us into trouble.
0: Absolutely. Um, especially when you're talking about hopelessness and despair, many times if we can begin to identify um, what's happening in that person's life that they do not have um, positional authority, or power, or influence, or maybe a combination like a Venn diagram of the three. So picture three overlapping spheres. Um, Sometimes people have positional authority. Technically, they're a vice president, right? Technically, they're a pastor, um, a manager. But the truth is, though they have the title and the position, sometimes people have no actual power. And many times, people with no positional authority have a tremendous amount of power. And the third piece of a tremendous amount of influence. So, for example, when we go in to do a church conflict, my second book is actually about um, group conflicts and church, for example, church conflicts or organizational conflicts. Um, the truth is, of course, if it's a conflict or worship styles or embezzlement or sexual misconduct or whatever, we have to deal with that. But, Marnie, no, one's, no Christian mediator is ever going to go into a conflicted church and not meet with two people, no matter what, one is the secretary and two is the janitor because if you want to know what's happening in a conflicted church, yes, pastors and committee chairs and all those people, but if you don't meet with the secretary and the janitor, you are a foolish mediator. So they might not have the possessional authority um, empowering, but they, boy, they know, right? That secretary has a lot of power even if her title isn't senior pastor um, or his title if it's male secretary. So um, what happens is when we feel responsible for something, so we feel responsible, but all we have is influence. We don't really, we don't have positional authority and we don't have power. still can lead in these conflicts to feeling a great amount of despair, um, even if it's a, a ruffled feather of a leader, right? I may feel responsible for the way that leader is berating my fellow worker, and yet I have no positional authority I can't command that leader, that woman or man, to stop. Um, maybe I have some power, though, because maybe it's my temperament, my mind is fast, you know, I've got a quick quick way of articulating an argument. I might have to car or maybe they really respect and love me, so I'm not an authority over them, but I have influence, but maybe I have none, right? So um, I think that for most of us when we're dealing with ruffled situations, if we can think through in our minds, all right, now who has actual positional authority here that they could, um, move budget wise, right. Firing people wise, um, church discipline, right. They have positional authority. Well, who are the people with power? And maybe someone doesn't have, um, a lot of positional, you know, they don't have positional authority or a lot a car, but they do have influence. Uh, the influencers tend to be the people who are charitable, who are wise, who are loving, um, And people might say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to really listen to them. They might be younger people. They might be older people, uh, but they have influence. So in a ruffled situation, ask yourself, you know, what's the positional, what's the actual power, what's the influence? And then how is that going to lead to hope and um, a constructive response? And how may it be fueling feelings of despair and hopelessness?
1: What do you say to the person who, who is watching something go down in their church or maybe in their home, but they feel like they really don't have power to address it. They're just watching it. And there's a sense of hopelessness there. What do you say to that person?
0: Yeah, again, it's the call to faithful obedience. Um, I would, I would encourage them that there's no neutrality, that if they're in a situation like that, even if they are not in technical authority over it, Um, They're not neutral. So they're either going to be a part of the solution or a part of the problem. So don't give in to what we call the myth of neutrality (laughs) in redeeming Mm. church conflict because there is no neutrality. And then secondly, remember the limits. So what are you called to do? You are called to bless and never curse. You are called to pray. You are called to do good, right? There's a whole bunch of intentional actions you're called to do. Who is responsible for the results? Who is responsible? God alone. So God is responsible for the results, but we are responsible to do all that we can do um, to faithfully obey all that we are required to do. Mm,
1: That's so good. Earlier today, I was telling somebody that when I got into a certain situation, I say, I choose Jesus, freedom in you, Holy Spirit, God flow through. And I might repeat that over and over and over, until I I realize that I am free in Christ, even though I feel maybe a little trapped in a certain in a certain situation. And there is so much freedom in Christ, like you said. It's not my responsibility to have the results turn out the way I want necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's my responsibility to stay inside Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm.
0: And well said, because you don't have the power. You don't have the power to make those things happen. I think it's in the Epistle of Second Timothy that talks about, you know, what are we supposed to do as servants, Maria? We're, we're not to quarrel. We're to be kind, able to teach, not resentful. When people oppose us, we're to gently instruct in the hope that God grants repentance. Not that right. we change the person's heart. We're not the Holy Spirit. We can't change their heart. But we, we are respectful and gentle and not argumentative, but we're able to teach and we're not resentful in the hope that God will cause this.
1: Love that. Love that. And that kind of segues nicely into the next point you were going to make, which is about the mob mentality. Sometimes we can watch and we can see things shifting from um, maybe a simple disagreement or a simple situation into something that's bigger and maybe a little less, um, well, maybe more intimidating. (laughs)
0: Of course, and, and what comes to mind is the recent passing of Harper Lee, and, and uh, I'm sure we're all very aware of the scene with scouts on the porch and to kill a mockingbird when uh, the mob is out of control, and this little, I think she's 11 year old, 11 year old girl you know, begin to name the people. Hey, Mr. Johnson. Hey, Mr. Smith. Right. And suddenly the mob isn't a mob anymore. It's individual people. And they see her and she sees them and they know she sees her. And they start to come out of uh, that, that uh, mob mentality. Or some of them don't, of course, as well, that ending of the book. But in a conflicted situation, the problem on the stage in a mob mentality is that most people, willingly or not, act differently when they're put before an audience so in a group mediation if the person is speaking for the side you know a certain side they're going to be performing on a stage they've got this platform and they're going to be prone to be zealous now maybe using hyperbole or exaggeration and so the mob mentality starts to feed into this performing on a stage and now i mean they can what we find as mediators is sometimes people are just so busy arguing a position because of that mob mentality and performing on the stage that they actually don't even agree with their entirety of their argument, but they're, they feel like they're the representative of that class. And so they're just going to make that advocate um, advocate for that position instead of having a, a reasonable um, discussion, a reasonable conversation about it. And so the temptations with mob mentality and performing on the stage can really lead us to do and say things that on their on our own we wouldn't do. We see this a lot in social media as well, right? That if, yeah. if we treated human beings in real life the way so many people treat um, human right. beings on the Internet, nobody would stand for that kind. And yet it happens over and over again.
1: Mm. When you're in a situation.
0: toxic wounds, yeah, Just kind of attacking, yeah. excuse me.
1: Yeah, when you're in a situation like that, wh- what is the tipping point? Like, where do you see? How do you see that that's actually happening?
0: Yeah, I would look for that kind of um, if someone's just getting louder and louder. Um, they're they're not evidencing what the Bible talks about the fruit of the spirit of being patient and kind and long suffering and but instead they're just becoming more and more. Um, they're they're not uh, teachable. They're not humble. They're not servants. Uh, they're not uh, loving, they're not kind. So the fruit of the spirit are gone, and they are just advocating for a position uh, so strongly that it's almost like they're disconnected from the situation. And uh-huh. that that you know, when you think about to Kill a Mockingbird, when once that crowd took over, in many ways you can see people are just, they're almost disconnected. They're like they're not in their right minds almost um, because they've given over to this groupthink or this mob mentality. Hmm.
1: Well, I know we've all seen illustrations of it on the news or even in our own lives and it's a, it's kind of a scary thing. When you uh, when a person would find themselves in a mob and this is a little off topic but I am curious about it. When a person would find themselves in a mob kind of going along in that situation, is it the same type of um disconnection that happened in our first point when we were talking earlier about the deep breathing the 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 just pausing um to regroup is it the same kind of a thing that you do yourself when you feel yourself getting carried away by a mob mentality
0: I think that is definitely one aspect honey I do um I think that as well that we can help one another uh, this is the role that we get to all be. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, we'll be called the sons of God, that's why all Christians are peacemakers. We're not just a professional mediators, but this is one of the identifying marks of being a Christian. And the ability to, um, to kind of pierce through the mob, uh, for example, to take that leader to the side and be like, hey, let me, may I talk with you about this? It seems like things are really escalating here. Um, are you sure that this is an all or nothing position? You know, is there any opportunity here to hear, uh, to listen to what the other side is saying? Um, what can we do in this situation to be more like Jesus, right, to, to be modeling that humility and um, that picks up our cross and suffers even because uh, Ephesians talks about, um, Paul writes a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Those are very, very strong words. Every, all, you know, these are not small (laughs) words. These are big words. Um, These are the same words they used to describe when the Christians were thrown to the lions, you know, and Mm. um, the gladiators made every effort to stay alive as the ravenous beast descended on them. Those are the same language, not to defend your rights or to win your argument, Mm. uh, but to keep the unity of the spirit, make every effort to be humble, completely humble, not just humble, completely humble. This is a very high standard. Um, So how can we be calling one another to that? And piercing through Um, Ephesians four. Yeah, that's a great pierce through the mob mentality chapter of the Bible would be Ephesians
1: four. Huh, cool. And one of the things that you do talk about, too, is one of the methods that you can do is to kind of divide and conquer. So if you have a group that's getting going toward this mob mentality, you actually you actually can't um, really mediate that kind of a situation. Can you exactly like that?
0: Very, uh, very wisely said, yeah, you can't mediate a group. You know, we talk about intervening in conflicted groups, conflicted churches, but a mediation, the, the language of mediation is really two people, maybe three or four, you know, like two couples. I mean, you're in a small amount. If you get into a group, then the dynamic's going to change, and even how we approach it as professional mediators is going to change. Um, so, for example, if I'm assisting a parachurch ministry with a conflict, it's going to take a lot of work um, in advance beyond the normal amount of pre-mediation homework or coaching or praying um, because we have to actually break down that larger group into smaller groups, into individuals and spend time. um, There's not a conflict like that church, you know, whatever XYZ uh, Bible church is not in conflict. The human beings inside of XYZ Bible church (laughs) are in
1: conflict. Right, right. Well, I think that that's the key. The key always is that it's people, uh, it's real people with real feelings and real perspectives. And and as long as we remember that that that's who we're dealing with, and like you say, not just a church in conflict or something. Uh, that's so important. Well, we're going to take a little break and come right back and talk about how to ask best questions, not just good ones, but the best questions. And also, when it's time to really just step away, we'll be right back. Okay, and a quick peek at what's coming up next. Next week we have management training, building your best team. Uh, The week after that, on March 16th, we're doing speaker training, incorporating humor into your speeches. You're going to love that one. And that same week on March 17th is the 2016 Bible Study Expo featuring uh, eight of the newest, actually nine of the newest Bible study books that are available for women's Bible study groups. Be sure to help us spread the word about that, BibleStudyExpo.com. On the 23rd of March, we'll do How to Craft a Powerful Devotion with Sandra Dalton. And then the week after that, Money Training, Your New Money Mindset. And hope that you will join us for all of those. And of course, you can catch the archives over at Marnie'sFriends.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie Swedberg, and our guest today, Tara Barcel, is sharing with us how to unruffle ruffled feathers. Tara, let's talk about um, some best questions. I I love it that you say, don't just ask good questions. Ask the best questions. So (laughs) how in the world do we figure out what the best questions are?
0: (laughs) Boy, boy, we're really dependent on the Holy Spirit and prayer. I love how prayerful you are, Marnie. And um, it really does take prayer because um, there can be some good questions. Maybe they'll start to clarify issues or um, positions and interests can be helpful. But let me just give you one example of a, a situation we talk about in redeeming church conflicts about best questions. I, uh, I got home from a women's retreat once. This was many, many years ago. And um, I can't remember exactly even what happened, but something happened during the retreat. And I, I flew home, and the next Monday morning I got this call from a young pastor who was Freaking out! Like, talk about ruffled feathers. This guy was like pecking the ground. I mean, the guy. It was. He just was like, I can't believe it. I mean, he he was talking so quickly, it was like a gunfire. You know, like a machine gun rapid fire. And he he made a whole bunch of accusations and a lot of presumptions, and he did not ask me any questions to try to understand my perspective on what. I don't even remember what happened to be honest. I I think it was pretty minor, but something had really flipped a switch in this young man. And he was really freaking out. Now, he, like, went on on, 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 And it was just going, going, going. And as he finally drew breath, and I had the opportunity to speak, you know, I said, Pastor, um, the, this is really important. I can tell it's very important to you. And it's very important to me, then, because it's important to you. I wonder, to start our call together. Now, this is probably 10 minutes into the call of him just <laughs> pretty much yelling, right, just yelling for 10 minutes. I said, Sir, would you pray for us? Would you pray for our call today? Now, that question was not about clarifying who said what or did a woman do this. And, you know, I can't, I I, I can't even remember what happened at this retreat. And I think I was an observer of it. It had to do with the leaders. Many times churches will bring me in for a peacemaking retreat, when what they're really doing is they're in conflict and they need a mediator. So they couch it as a women's retreat, but what they've brought in a mediator, right? So it was a fight among the leaders, if I remember. But at any rate, instead of asking for my perspective or trying to clarify the issues or negotiate a substantive part, Um, it was just freaking out. But the best question in that situation really was, will you pray for us? And all of a sudden, it's like he came back to sanity. You know, he took a breath. He prayed for our call. It slowed him down enough that then I could ask him really good questions, too, you know. But in that situation, the best question wasn't about the substance of what happened. The best question was to help this young man not to be like, Pastor, Pastor, what's wrong with you? Why don't? Why are you acting this way? You're totally <laughs> freaking out. You know, not helpful. The best thing was just suddenly to say, sir, will you please pray for us? And uh, he did. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't a comfortable conversation. But we were able to have a productive conversation.
1: You know, Tara, what we've found here, my husband and I personally, is that if we are going to talk about something super sensitive, if we will just start with prayer, it is so wonderful. It is like uh, the most humbling thing you can do. First of all, you recognize that God's going to (laughs) watch like, of course, he is anyway. (laughs) But you actually come to a conscious awareness that you are inviting God into this uh, conversation. And it's just not going to be the same uh, as if you are pretending that he's not paying attention right now and that you can say anything you want. You can exaggerate as far as you want. You can blame everything on the other person because, of course, I don't have to own it myself because where's God? Anyway, you know, just bringing God into it changes the entire playing field from something I would say just unreal to something supernatural. And it really does shift it that much.
0: Mm, I absolutely agree. Another example that comes to mind is uh, once my uh, uh, spiritual father, we, we, uh, co-author on um, the Redeeming Church Conflicts book, uh, he was helping a, a Christian school. And, you know, what happens many times is when the conflict starts to escalate, people will grab the Book of Church Order for the church or the organizing documents for the Christian school or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they're just looking for paragraphs or um, parts that justify their position. And it's all, you know, dog-eared. He remembers that it was all scribbled and posted (laughs) and, like, marked up, like they're defending their position. And so he, he said to them, both sides had their manuals all marked up, and he said, um the question he asked was, please everyone, since I can tell you really read them carefully, turn in your manual would you please turn to the section that deals with how to glorify God and love your neighbor in the education of children. And they all started flapping pages and going to the index, and <laughs> going to the table of contents and freaking out. But ultimately they had to admit there wasn't you know, there wasn't a section on that, even though as Christians they wanted to glorify God and love their neighbor and train children right. to do that as well. And so in that situation that was the best question and then it led into some other really good questions and they had to talk about you know mm. how the authority happened or the discipline happened or what happened when a kid was whatever but those good questions couldn't come until there was first that best question
1: mm. those are such best questions i mean the the examples that you gave here were just fantastic and the heart of it seems to be how can you get the focus off of me and back on to where it's supposed to be on Jesus. And, and that is always going to be the answer, isn't it?
0: Mm, absolutely. And that eternal perspective, you know, when you say mm-hmm. focus on Jesus, we remember that second person of the Trinity that has always been and will ever be. And for those short years, he was here on earth, he was incarnate. Um, and we're so grateful. Even when you were talking earlier about how he relates to you, I was thinking about in Hebrews where it says, He's not a high priest that can't relate right. to us, but, you know, right. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend or, you right. know, to be attacked, right. to be accused. And he was without sin yet. He was so maltreated. So he gets it. You know, when we're accused falsely, when people gossip behind mm-hmm. our backs and abandon us and attack us, you know, in the church, in our Christian families, in our marriages, in our parenting, in law relationships, Jesus understands it. You know, he far off helping us. Transcendent, but he's imminent, and he gets it. He he's able to comfort us with that eternal comfort. It, it's we're so blessed to have the Savior and His spot.
1: Oh, we are! I always say, I don't know what I would do without you. I can't even imagine a day without without Jesus uh, helping, uh, being everything. You know, I I don't know how people do it. So <laughs> let's talk about when it's time to just step away. Like, okay, you you've found yourself in the midst of a lot of ruffled feathers and you have um, done what you know to do. And now what, first of all, to bring this question up, it must be okay sometimes to step away. How do you know when it's okay and how do you actually accomplish it?
0: Yeah. Again, these are all wisdom issues. So that means there's a lot of gray, right? If it were black and white, it'd be easy. We could just say, um, you know, Nobody should be drunk, right? Drunkenness, obvious, black and white. It's a moral issue. It's a call from scripture. Ooh, should somebody ever drink wine? Christians disagree, right? A moderate glass of wine. These are like debatable issues. Um, So when we say, when is it time to step away? Um, You know, when do we say, I can't help anymore in this conflict? It's a wisdom issue. Things that I would look for. Um, In James, it talks about who is wise with the wisdom that comes from heaven, and that would be pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, impartial, and sincere, full of mercy and good fruit. Um, What does that mean? If we have a responsibility, a duty, um, for example, as a manager, uh, as a church officer, uh, we're going to have duties in those conflicted situations that we have to see it through. Um, parent, a parent to a child, right? We have a duty. Uh-huh. Um, so one question would be, we want to think about that positional authority. Um, if we have that, we have to follow through. We've made vows, right? We've taken vows. We have to see it through. Um, one, another second question we can ask, when is it time to step away? Bernie, what's happening in our own life? Um, is You know, if our child is facing cancer, if we are... Um, going through counseling because we were uh, assaulted, um, if we're facing financial devastation, either the job loss or whatever, we can ask ourselves, there are many times when we're in a weakened state because of other situations that had nothing to do with the conflict, but we are uh-huh. not the best person to help. You know, right now, I'd like to, I'd like to step in and serve you, but the truth is, I'm dealing with a physiological or a spiritual, right, a burden, of suffering. My mom is dying. Whatever, whatever it is, I can't be the best person to help, and that's okay, too, right? We're not the Holy Spirit. We're not sustaining the universe. <laughs> that's God's job. So, um, you know, do we have a duty? Have we made a vow? Um, what's happening in our own lives? Looking, too, at temperament and personality, um, sometimes, right, we're just not the best person to help, Uh we say, even in the field of Christian mediation, we, we're not the best person to put on that consulting cap and speak into that person's life. Um, some people really like us and enjoy us, and some people we grate on them. And it's not a sin issue or even a conflict. It's a temperament or a communication style or a personality. And so we can wisely discern that we've tried to help in a situation. We're not the best person to help um, as well. So things that I would look. Or, you know, that that list of wisdom that comes from heaven is from James 3, and I would just go right through it and say, you know, is my contribution um, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, impartial, and sincere, full of mercy and good fruit? And if not, then it might be time to say there are other people in the body of Christ that are going to help in this situation, right? It's not, hmm. this is not my, um, I, I, I'm going to pray. I might pray and fast. Um, You know, there's things I can do, but there's going to be other people who God has equipped to help in this conflict.
1: I really love that. And I think the rest of James 2 talks so much about humility and just asking, asking God to just... If it's supposed to be me, let it be me. Otherwise, I can just step out of the way and let you do it your own way. Um, God let him do it his way. Uh, Tara, this hour has flown by. Thank you so much. What a lot of great information. I've got pages of notes here that I took during this interview. Thank you so much.
0: It's my pleasure. It's such a joy to be with you, Marnie, and your
1: listeners. Oh, and you guys need to go over and check out her website at Tara Barcel, T-A-R-A-B-A-R. T-H-E-L. And uh, there's lots of great stuff over there. She's written several books as well as um – been a short-term mission uh, missionary for uh, three short-term trips. Uh, she's a scuba diver. She's got some girls and they're members of Rocky Mountain Community Church. She's a speaker and obviously she is a mediator. And so you want to learn more about her over at our website. And also, if you want to learn more about this program, you can go over to friends.com. You can share it um, on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, or Um, iTunes. And also, if you want to have a listener box on your own website, you can do that over at Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us. I hope you guys have a lovely rest of the day, and we will see you next time. Have a great day. Bye-bye.